be nice if the hackers were a little nicer and say, you know what? That's not fair. I'm not going to attack this one on random account. It did so much work. Alpruna Smells Like Identity Hygiene, the podcast where we unravel the complexities of modern identity security practices, dissect the latest trends, and provide insightful perspectives on the ever-evolving landscape of identity hygiene. Get ready for engaging conversations, expert insights, and the latest strategies to take your company's identity hygiene program to the next level. I'm Katie, and this is my co-host, Rosie. Hello. (laughs) We've brought our product manager from Sphere, Kristen Buckley. And today we're going to talk about discovery. Just what is what is discovery? Why is it so important for organizations and their cybersecurity programs? Kristen, nice to talk to you. Um, it's been two minutes since we last spoke on Teams. You're Let's actually in my office right now. Right, <laughs> right. You know, hey, obviously Kristen works at Sphere. We all work at Sphere we're just going to have a conversation about this discovery thing, right? Because a lot of people have brought this up as a challenge and we're going to talk about kind of the way that we think about it and, and kind of what we have essentially baked into ultimately baked into the product. So I guess where we start is what is discovery? For me, discovery <laughs> is, is fundamental to, to, to any security program. It's, it's, it's finding all of the accounts, the entitlements. It's actually having an inventory of, of what you have. You really can't think about remediation or, or even risk reduction without actually having a full understanding of, of everything that's out there. Kristen, how do you think about discovery? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think um, the other thing that's really important about discovery is not understanding only what's out there, but, but what is it? I think um, learning about all of your accounts and your groups and what has access to what in the your environment is really important to understand what what's out there that you need to protect um, and keep safe. But what you really need to know is not only what it is, but but more information around it. Who owns it? Who's responsible for it? Who's the one who can make decisions on these things? Make sure that they're they're properly being protected. And that's that's the key thing, right? The 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 idea of discovery isn't just finding a bunch of accounts, which. Even to begin with, it's it's surprising for me. I think for you as well, Kristen. You would think most organizations have a good understanding. Like like this is easy. They should know where all of their accounts are. Why wouldn't they know these are all my accounts across the organization? But we find that that's not the case, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When we started kind of going down this road at Sphere, I also thought the same thing that you said. You know, it should be easy to figure out what accounts you know about. And there are some ones that are pretty easy, right? Collecting from AD. Everyone's got a pretty good handle on Active Directory. It's out there. You can get a list of accounts pretty easily. But what I've learned as we went down this road is that you need specialized knowledge to pull accounts and access off of every single source system that you have. Right. Every single database has accounts that work differently, that get permission differently, have different nuances. Unix servers permission things way different than Windows servers permission things, completely different than a mainframe might permission things. So you really need to be an expert in every single source system in order to properly collect all of your accounts and all of your permissions and really understand what your environment looks like. So the problem is way more complicated than I think anyone initially gives it credit for. So does it just stop with accounts or how far does discovery actually go? Well, I, I think it's more than, than just the accounts, right? It's, it's understanding 
the entitlements and then the, the target assets, whether they're servers or, or databases. I, I think, you know, one of the things that Kristen was just talking about in terms of all the nuances of these platforms, I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges is having having an understanding and being able to understand enough about these target systems to be able to deal with those nuances. I mean, Kristen, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, that's probably the biggest problem and the thing that's hardest for most of our clients to, to really make sure they have that expertise in every single source system. And then also somebody who's capable of collecting that data, aggregating it and doing the reporting on top of it. It's almost impossible to find that single skill set in one person. So you need a, a huge team of people at a company to do this um, and really do it successfully. What does this actually do? What is discovery and, and being able to find these things? How does that reduce risk? How does that actually save a company potentially millions of dollars in dealing with a breach or ransomware or like these real issues that we see um, in the news all the time? Yeah, so I think there's a couple different ways to look at it. The first and most obvious one is understanding what you have in your environment and what it has access to gives you the immediate knowledge of what your exposure is when you do have a breach, right? So if you have an account that you know is compromised, your security operations team has identified this account has been breached, the credentials have been um, found out and, and leveraged and they've gotten access, when you know what that account has access to, you can immediately dive in and understand how far that breach goes. What has this person been able to get access to? What has the attacker, you know, been able to potentially compromise in your environment? So I think that's kind of a pretty obvious one where it's good to know your inventory, what has access to what, so you can follow that path. But the less obvious one, I think, is, is more of the identity hygiene or the prepping to make sure you're in good shape before you get breached. If you understand all of your accounts, all of your assets, all of the entitlements, have that good discovery, you know who to talk to, you can therefore look at all of your controls and your compliance in the environment and make sure that you've cleaned up your environment and those entitlements are minimized. So when you do have a breach, you're not as exposed as you would otherwise be. When you mention an identity, you mean the person attached to the account, right, Kristen? Correct. The owner of the account. Which is an interesting topic all on itself, right? The idea of service accounts and machine accounts and these non-people authentication methods that allow a system, not a human, generally speaking, to access another system. And I think understanding a lot of what we hear from our customers is that that is their biggest challenge, right? Understanding, well, what are these service accounts, right? And how do they tie back or should they tie back to a human? And we, we always say they absolutely should tie back to a human who can make decisions about whether or not these things should even exist. So Kristen, can you talk a little bit about service accounts and how they exist in an organization, why they are different than an admin account or a regular user account, and why it's so critical to really have a good understanding of what they're doing and who is responsible for them. Yeah, so service accounts are one of the most trusted accounts in an environment and, and usually the ones running some of your more critical applications in your environment. So service accounts run in an automated fashion, they run key processes for all of your applications, 
and they're running constantly. And, and they're really important to understand the ownership of those accounts because that ownership changes. So you might have a system account that's running an application and the owner of that account leaves and, and then you don't know what it's doing. It's really easy. We see it over and over again. All of our clients, they lose track of who owns what system accounts, things get forgotten about. And before you know it, you have no history and no knowledge of what account is doing, but that account is actually running critical systems in your environment. So it's really important to understand the ownership of those accounts and to make sure you're maintaining that ownership. The reason it's important in our context in identity hygiene is as you're cleaning up all of these controls around these service accounts, you have a lot of potential to break things in the environment. And that's not what we want to do when we talk about identity hygiene and security. The most important thing is to keep the business running, but we want them to run in a really secure fashion. So we don't put the business at risk. Understanding who owns those service accounts is paramount to making sure that they can say, yes, you can secure this account. Yes, that account is prepared to be vaulted and, and password managed the way it needs to. And we've updated the application to integrate and pull that password from our vaulting system. So we make sure it's secure and properly rotated. You can't do that. You can't set all that up. You can't have proper identity hygiene without having somebody who can speak to that account, what it's doing, and to make sure it's still supporting the business while it's being secured. Yeah. And that ownership piece is so critical, but also one of the biggest challenges, right? The understanding or the idea, especially with service accounts, especially with things like local accounts, understanding who is the person who essentially is going to take the operational risk of making the change that you want to make to reduce risk. So there's the, that delicate balance of operational risk versus security risk, right? You do things because you want to reduce security risk, but you always take on a layer of operational risk. So the idea of that ownership piece is critical, but how? How do you do that? How do you figure out who's responsible for some arbitrarily named account. Kristen, can you talk a little bit about the ways that you can find owners of, of these kind of arbitrary accounts that have been around for years that no one knows anything about that were created by someone who's possibly left the firm and potentially still has the credentials to that account? Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest problem. And I was going to circle back to that as well. Of You know, when people leave these companies, I the only solution a lot of these companies have right now is just to pass that ownership onto the manager. And then the manager might not be as close to it as they want to be or as they should be. And then that manager changes roles and then the account stays with them, but then they leave and then it gets the manager of that new role. And then suddenly somebody owns this account that's never even heard of it before, right? So that's what we see time after time in all of these companies of how they handle reassigning ownership. Um, and making sure that somebody owns these accounts. But the challenge, like you said, is that these accounts don't inherently have ownerships assigned to them. There's no attribute. There is one in Active Directory. It's rarely maintained. Um, but a lot of these other accounts, like you said, local accounts, they don't have an attribute that you can store to say, this is the owner and and keep track of that even, or even try and keep track of that. So what we really need to rely on is is the intelligent discovery piece, right? Discovering all of the different attributes around that account that can help us follow breadcrumb trails and understand who might be the owner of that account or that group. So some of the, the different methodologies we've created over, over the years are, are based on our experience of tracking down who owns which account, who owns which group. So 
we might look at what that account has access to. We look at your source of rec your different source of records, your CMDB to understand, okay, if this account has a, as a system account that's running a process on server called app one, two, three, and we know based on your CMDB source of record that it has permission to a server that has app one, two, three application associated with it. And then we can look in and understand whose application that is, who owns that application, what business area is using that application. And we can kind of start following that breadcrumb trail to understand who might be responsible for that account. They'll be able to direct us to who owns that account. You said something interesting a minute ago. You called it intelligent discovery. We've been We've been talking about discovery, but I feel like intelligent discovery feels like it's got a, a different meaning. What is, what's the difference? Is there a difference? What we refer to discovery as is just collecting all of the attributes off of a source system and account, but intelligent discovery is taking those attributes and learning something from them. So for example, finding ownership, that's a form of intelligent discovery. We're understanding what that account is, not only what that account is from its source system, but where it sits in the broader environment, understanding its context within the environment, understanding who could potentially be using that account, who could own it, and who's responsible for it. We also do um, other types of intelligent discovery such as understanding account types. That's really important because all of your accounts are different in your environment. They're there for different reasons. They have different purposes and therefore they probably have to follow different security controls. Um, you're going to lock down and be way more protective of a service account than you will a user's personal account that they just use to log into the internet and fill out their time cards. So we need to understand that context in order to make sure we're securing accounts in the right way. You know, if, if I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about all the work I have to do to, to kind of find all of these accounts, find the entitlements of the accounts, figure out the owner, right? You, you have to figure out the owner because, again, that whole idea of operational risk and, and a security person not having to take that operational risk. Why is this, why is this important? You know, I guess... Can you make it real for me? Like, why should I be doing this? Why should I care? The reason you care is to ensure that you're properly securing your environment. So when you do have an attacker, because, you know, the entire security world right now agrees hackers are getting so sophisticated, these different methods, especially with AI, are getting so sophisticated that it's not about if a breach will happen, it's about when. So identity hygiene is all about protecting yourself against that. So when a breach does happen, you're minimalizing the attack vectors and you're making sure that you're as secure as possible and you're able to deal with that and recover from that as quickly as possible. It's obviously important. It's obvious that having that full inventory, that full understanding of exactly what you have and who has access to what, which again, to most people who are not, doing this and thinking about this every day, it feels like, why is this such a challenge? Why is this so hard? But, but is this, is there a simple answer? Is there a simple way that, that people could get started of figuring out how do I actually solve this problem that almost every one of our customers face? Yeah. Can I say by sphere? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Obviously, we know about Spheerboard and, and it can solve this problem for customers, but what do you have to do to actually accomplish all this? How would one do this manually? Yeah. I mean, the first thing you need to do is understand 
at a high level what technologies you have in your environment, right? Understand what information you need to collect from what source systems. And then you need to have somebody who's an expert in every single one of those source systems and who can work with you to automate pulling all of the account entitlement information, groups, et cetera, from all of these source systems. That's just step one, right? Uh, you have to have some good data analysts on your team to be able to pull in that data, really understand it, understand the nuances of that data and be able to, to make that data usable to you. So what that means is, is then building reporting and analytics around which of those entitlements should be there, which of those shouldn't be there. And, and then in order to do that, you need to know the ownership. So you're gonna need to know who owns each of those accounts so you can go talk to them, understand what those accounts should be doing. And that's a the largely manual process right now. Uh, we still speak to customers and, and large corporations every day that are managing giant spreadsheets and not even using a database, a modern day database. And, manually reaching out to all of these different owners of different accounts to understand what the accounts are, what they should have access to. And then once you get those answers back, you have to go to all of those source systems you've collected the data from and manually update things based on what you find out. So if an account shouldn't have access to something, you could go change that. So you need to have SMEs and all of those different source technologies to then change the entitlements if you need to. And then once you have all that, you need to maintain it and, and make it repeatable. So not only do you have to do this one time, you have to do this over and over and over again to constantly make sure that those entitlements are sort of minimal and that things aren't over permissioned. You don't have disabled accounts in, in the environment. You don't have stale accounts that are just sitting there doing nothing that you don't need anymore to keep that clean. That's a, it's a continuous process because environments are constantly growing and changing. You have new people, new projects, people leave, things get forgotten about, things get deprioritized over time. There's any number of reasons that things change in an environment. So you might do all this effort, do all this manual effort and have things cleaned up on day one. But then by day five, everything looks completely different because well, especially in large organizations, things are constantly changing and you don't have that visibility into every area of the company unless you're constantly pulling those feeds and understanding that data on a regular basis. So not only do you have to do all of this effort once, it needs to be continuously updated and making sure that you're following up. So it's a big, big project and a big undertaking, especially if you're doing it manually, not in an automated fashion. Sounds exhausting. Yeah, and Things are falling behind while you've given all of your resources over to this one, even non-end-to-end -end project. What other things aren't being done so that that can be prioritized, which it's not feasible. Yeah. In order to do this, if you want to have a team in-house that does this all manually or even automated, it, you need a large team that's completely dedicated to it, who's constantly caring and feeding for it. As technologies change, processes for collecting data change over time as well. So you need to keep up with what new versions of things you have in your environment make, and make sure all of your data pools are coming in correctly. And, and even data health checks, right? If When you're talking about an operation on such a large scale with all of these data sources, there's a lot of work that goes into the care and feeding, just making sure that data is coming in on a daily basis regularly, right? Like so many different things can fail for different reasons, servers go down, um, network blips happen, you know, there, there's just a million things that could go wrong in that process. So just making sure those data feeds are 
healthy every day and that you're getting accurate data is, is a full-time job for a team. And making sure all of that logic is accurate and all of those controls are being calculated and you have the right baselines for those controls. All of that is a full-time job for a, a large number of people and they all have to be experts in this data. So it's a lot of training too. You can't just hire anyone off the street to come in and who will automatically know everything they need to know about every single one of these data sources. So not only does it require a huge team, it requires a huge team who's really specialized and and knows every single technology in your environment, or at least knows enough about it to be dangerous and be able to build all of these controls and, and make sure that the data is accurate. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even then it takes one person trying to help with like one thing that could break 10 other systems. So if they're not all in the same place, you've got these teams where individuals are working on different systems, trying to update it constantly and manually. You don't know what else is going to break because if they're not experts in everything, right? And where those things intertwine with each other. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, these data sources are often so nuanced, especially in the database world, if you have a number of different databases in your environment. They're often so nuanced that you need almost need custom logic for every single data source. Or, or sometimes like two databases work kind of the same way and you can use it, but the other three that you might have are completely different. So it's really easy as, as a data analyst to potentially break some logic for one when trying to fix another one um, if you don't really know what you're doing. So that's also very true. You can't just have anyone who, who, who comes in and understands how to join data sets together, make some changes unless they really understand how these source system data sets work and, and what they do and how things are permissioned so that they're joining things properly together and you're getting ultimately getting the right results for your controls and you're chasing down the right issues, you're focusing on the right things, solving the right problems instead of sort of chasing down ghosts and, and looking at data that might not be completely correct. World's worst game of Pac-Man. <laughs> so I guess this is where we can enter a shameless plug of what is it about Sphereboard that is different? How does Sphereboard solve that problem? If it takes a team of dozens of, not tens of dozens of people, that would be hundreds, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like how does math, how does, I'm obviously not going to be hired on your security team. Uh, if you're, it's not a shameless plug for me, but how does your board fix that? Yeah. So we are that team, right. Uh, of dozens or done tens of dozens, if you will, hundreds of, <laughs> um, of people who are specialized in these different areas who do understand these data sets. And we can take on that challenge for you. Um, we have a number of different connectors that go out, reach out to these source systems, and we make sure that we're joining that data together correctly. We're highly customizable because we know every environment is different. So we need to mold to the way that each environment works. So we can define your account types as they're defined in your environment. We can find your owners based on your infrastructure and the way you've set up things. And we can find all of your source system data and, and make sure we're aggregating that correctly. So we're giving you your results of your controls against your proper baseline of account types. And so you're chasing down the right problems and solving the right issues in the right way. It's the the nuances, right? The the That's what will kill you. It's not... You know, conceptually doing some of these things or you can think about it and say, oh, but, but that's easy. But it's 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 in those details 
that um, that you'll miss. And the bad guys aren't forgiving. The bad guys aren't going to you know forgive you for oh you missed that one local Oracle account. So it's not fair to attack that account because they probably missed that one. Let me go try to attack a an AD service account instead. Um, no, they'll attack whatever you missed. And yeah, nice you know that's the, how they work, the, though. <laughs> That exactly. Nice? That's how they work, though. Yeah, yeah it, it'd be nice if people, you know, if if uh, the, the the hackers were a little nicer and say, you know what, that's not fair. I'm not going to attack this one. One random it's a rough account. one. We'll do it. We'll, it we'll is such, so much work. You know? <laughs> um, unfortunately, people aren't that forgiving, um, and they will whatever you don't find, they will find for you. But unfortunately, when they find it, it's going to be bad news for you. Exactly. So it's good to get ahead of those things before they're problems. And like you said, those are actually the ones they're going to seek out, right? They're going to try and compromise accounts that they think you don't know about. They're not going to, well, they might compromise ones that they think you know about as well, but usually they'll compromise something that they know that they can, they can get in and on under the radar, something that isn't being used that people aren't looking for um, so that they can get in and, and stay in there and get as much information as possible. And do the most damage they can. Exactly. So we have a tiny little segment at the end of every podcast where we ask one random question. And I bogarted this one for our first one because I really am interested to know. Kristen, what is your most irrational fear? I mean, I have a couple. I guess the most irrational one, I'm very afraid of snakes and spiders. Like Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> And one of my biggest, weirdest fears uh, that I worry about constantly is that a snake is going to crawl up my toilet and come out, get me one day. <laughs> I feel like we've all shared that fear at one point in time, that random Facebook video scrolls through and you see the guy who's breaking the toilet open and there's like a boa constrictor in it for some reason. Yeah, I live in fear of that day when one comes out of my toilet and eats me alive. Um <laughs> it's coming oh um, man rosie what's yours i don't know how rational this is but whenever i'm driving and there's a truck in front of me and it's got like logs or something that's just tied mm. i question how well the driver did in kind of tying down those logs and if one's going to just fly off the truck and go through my windshield and kill me <laughs> Same yeah, is that i don't is that irrational because i know someone no. that that actually happened to no, that yeah. is completely rational, but I didn't ever think that it really does happen. Oh my. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's a rational fear. Maybe that's not irrational. It feels rational. Oh, Y'all's fears are much more rational than mine. I'm a little ashamed of my own fear at this point, just because of the fact that y'all's no, make I'm, sense due to near death experience. It. It's deer. I'm afraid of deer. I'm like absolutely terrified of them and deer in North Carolina are basically just dogs apparently compared to like deer anywhere else. And they just have beady little eyes. There's just nothing going on in there. The lights are on, but nobody's home. So there's mine. Deer. I am also afraid of spiders. I got bit by a brown recluse when I was little. Mm. It was in my shoe. I shake out every shoe I have before I put it on now because of that. Oh my so. gosh. The common theme for all three of our fears is sitting down. I was going to say it's car, right? Because because Katie, you and I share the we're driving and either a deer or a piece of lumber kills yeah. us. But then Kristen, you know, had the, well, toilet, the toilet situation, yeah. <laughs> but we all three of us would be sitting down. So we yeah. all would die sitting down. 
we all just give up sitting down. Right. That's right. New Year's resolution, no no more sitting. I I could definitely see some um, horror movie with like deer that decide they're going to like a birds type Alfred Hitchcock movie with deer instead of birds Mm -hmm. attacking. I feel like there is one. I feel like somebody's made a B rated evil deer movie. I always Mm. had this image in my head of deer's hooves were just gloves and they would just take off their glove hooves and have fists under them and just be ready to beat you up. Oh, that's a better irrational fear. So that's really irrational because that's not going to happen. Whereas a um, deer running into you while driving absolutely can happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think we've all been hit by a deer at one point in time. It feels like a collective experience. I've <laughs> seen someone get arrested in New York City. You just have to experience oh, yeah. it once. And there is so. a film from 2021 called Antlers. And it is a supernatural horror film. I won't be watching. <laughs> this podcast has gone off the rails, but I would definitely watch it. As we wrap up our first episode of Smells Like Identity Hygiene, we hope you've gained some valuable perspectives and actionable insights to fortify your identity hygiene program. The key to securing your most precious assets lies in understanding and embracing effective identity hygiene practices. If today's episode resonated with you, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback fuels our journey to empower you with the knowledge needed to navigate the evolving landscape of identity security. But wait. Before we officially sign off, here's a special treat for our our hopefully dedicated listeners for the future. Stick around after the outro for some behind-the-scenes fun with outtakes and bloopers. Even in the world of cybersecurity, a good laugh is the best way to fortify the soul. So stay tuned, enjoy the lighter side, and thank you for being an essential part of our journey. Now let's dive into the laughter, because after all, security doesn't always have to be so serious. Rosie and I wrote like three Hallmark movies on the plane the other day. Dang it, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be going, only a movie, only a movie. Monsterd. Monsterd. I can't even say it. Frank, now transformed into a savage antler creature. My husband actually was the star of Zombie Ass. But the film's quality. What brings you here today? I didn't harass you into it or anything. (laughs) Zombie Ass. I wear, we teach you how to brush your teeth and put on your cybersecurity deodorant but dear nato killer toilet from outer space like a murder deer no zombie ass toilet of the dead five horror movies to watch on world toilet day but the toilet is actually an alien toilet and it proves that you really should give up on your dreams sometimes lesson learned i was about to but now i know this this is awesome Uh, I'm going to be watching this tonight. I need to see zombie ass.